0: Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you along for the weekend edition. The Brewers in the NLDS taking on the Atlanta Braves had a chance to talk to some folks to help us preview all of the action that you'll see at American Family Field and then eventually to Truist Park in Atlanta. Joining us on the program to lead things off here on the game night, longtime friend. You can listen to him on MLB Radio Network on Sirius XM. Uh, one of their great hosts and uh, great baseball guy himself also does some radio work for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks as well. Mike Farron kind enough to join us here on the game night. Mike, appreciate the time. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good, Doug. It's always good to be with you. It's lovely to hear your voice.
0: It's uh thank you. It's, it's always lovely to hear yours as well, whether it's on the play by play, whether it's doing a show with Jim Duquette on MLB radio network. However, I get to hear Mike Farron's voice, uh, preferably in person, but uh, that's not the case tonight. Um, Let's talk about, first of all, how the Brewers got here because they really did run away with the National League Central. And as I said at the Open, this season, the, the Cardinals, and we'll get to them in a minute, notwithstanding, what does it even mean to run away with the National League Central this year? Because, again, outside of a late run from the Cardinals, it was the Brewers and then a lot of also-rans.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of was that way in the Central Division and in the American League too, with the White Sox. And so, um, you know, I mean, those are two divisions that had what seven of the the sixteen playoff teams a year ago when we had the the extra round of playoffs in, in the shortened season. Um, so, I mean, I think that that you know, I, I don't think that there's anything to really be taken from it. That that you know, you you look at this Brewers team and think well, because they, they beat a bunch of teams that ended up finishing below 500, that it means that they're less than, I mean, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I think this is a really good team. I think they have to be on the short list of favorites in the national league because they have such dominant front end starting pitching, And, um, you know, it's a team that got better offensively as the year went on too, with some of the additions that they made. So, You know, I'm very bullish on this Brewers team, and I don't know that necessarily um, them winning a Central Division that didn't have very many good teams in it um, ends up being a a major factor in how I feel about them for the postseason.
0: Hypothetical question. It's impossible to answer for sure, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. How do you think, knowing how top-heavy the National League West was, how might the Brewers have fared If they were playing in that division, say they were based in Fresno, I don't know, as opposed to Milwaukee.
1: Um, I think that their win total probably would have been reduced a little bit, but that the Dodgers and Giants would have been reduced significantly. I mean, it depends on who you want to replace them with. Like you want to replace Arizona with the Brewers then I think, you know, you see a Brewer team, what do they end up, end up finishing with 93, 94 wins, right? Like, so you know, you're probably looking at an 88 or 89 win team and that those teams are in um, kind of the low to mid nineties. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, Colorado's record probably isn't quite as good. Um, the Padres in the end probably don't have quite as good a record if the Brewers were in that division, which is crazy to think because they were only four games under, but, that Brewer pitching staff lines up really well against a right handed dominant lineup like San Diego had. So, you know, I could see them taking a hit a little bit just because they would have to play the Dodgers and Giants 38 times, but it'd still be a team that we'd be talking about in the mix for a postseason berth, if not clinching one.
0: Mike Theron joining us from MLB Radio Network. Uh, I want to move on to some of the other teams in the po- uh, postseason in just a moment, but. As you see the Brewers taking on the Braves best of five in the National League Divisional Series, how do these two teams match up?
1: Well, I think, you know, Atlanta is, is interesting because they haven't gotten, you know, they went through this rebuild and most of the focus was on starting pitching. And yet most of the pitching that they've developed on their own hasn't really produced at the level that they were expecting. Ian Anderson has been pretty good and, and very good down the stretch, um, but beyond that, like Mike Soroka, who was supposed to be their top starter, missed the entire season because of first an Achilles and then a shoulder and then an Achilles injury. So, um, you know, they have managed to build a deeper team as the year went on in, in an effort to try and replace uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. I think I saw read something today, I think on MLB.com, giving the Braves bullpen an edge. But I think if you were to talk to any Atlanta fans, they would probably – Tell you that that was nuts based <laughs> on the inconsistency that they've had and and the way that former Brewer Will Smith has pitched in the ninth. I mean his numbers were good in September, but he has been really homer-prone this year. So it's a good team with a lot of different offensive components. Um, you know Adam Duvall had a big year offensively, but he also has a sub 300 on base percentage. You know uh, Dancy Swanson had a really good first five months, but struggled down the stretch. You still have to deal with Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley, who had a tremendous year for them um, you know, as part of that offense. But uh, it, it's it's a, it's a good team. It's a team we anticipated being in postseason before the year started. It, it took them a long time to get to that point, but they're a formidable foe because their starting pitching is good. It's just not as good on paper as what the Brewers are.
0: You mentioned the bullpen. As long as you know, we're talking about relievers, how much do you think the Brewers are going to miss Devin Williams?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's an open-ended question. I mean, I, clearly they're going to miss him, right, because this is their second-best reliever. Um, but you're also talking about a guy that was going to impact maybe three innings over the course of a five-game series, right, So, or four innings over the course of a five-game series. And so you know, that's, that's one a day, which isn't you know, insignificant. Um, but are there other ways they can handle it? You know, at at some point, one of their starters is going to go to the bullpen. So I I think Craig council is the best manager of a bullpen in baseball. And I think I would be really curious to see if, since he has only named a game one and a game two starter, if they decide that Freddie Peralta is going to fill some of that role and maybe do so as more of a multiple inning guy, because Hauser and, and Lauer have both been so good in the rotation. You maybe it's Hauser that picks up some of those innings. You know, he's got experience pitching out of the bullpen, too. If you were to run into a pocket of right-handed hitters, I think Hauser would be a great matchup for that. So I think that there's a couple of different ways that they can do it. And I think, you know, listen, having Jake Cousins healthy and on the roster is going to be helpful, too. I mean, he really was pretty darn good for them. So I, I think that, that it, it's not insignificant, but – I think our all of our initial reaction was, whoa, they lost the reigning rookie of the year and their second-best reliever. But when you start to look at the ways that they, are, they potentially can cover for it, to me it's not as significant as if they had lost a member of their starting lineup.
0: I want to talk about some of the other teams that are in the postseason as well. I'm not surprised at what the Dodgers did. I'm not surprised at the Cardinals' final record. I'm a little bit surprised at the way they did it. But the Giants, I don't think anybody had picked them to be, at least record-wise, the best team in baseball. Are they? I mean, I know what the record says, but in your opinion, are they truly the best team in baseball?
1: I mean, I think it's one of those things where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, they're, They're a fascinating team, and I think they're really fun to watch because they never seem to be at a disadvantage. You run into teams, and I'm sure you've done this too, Doug, even there's probably been some good teams where you felt this way. It was like, man, they need one more left-handed hitter off the bench, right? Or, man, they need one more right-handed hitter. Or, man, I wish they had a really good second lefty. And the Giants have that. You know, there's no, like, outside of Posey and Crawford, who had a terrific year, there's no real superstar on this roster. You know, they led the National League in homers, but nobody hit 30 homers. Um, they have a lot of guys that have hit 15, though. And they have a lot of guys that, like, they have a lineup that they'll run out there to crush right handed pitching. And when you go to a lefty to combat it, they can basically make an entire line shift. And over the boards are coming four right handed hitters who dominate left handed pitching. Their lefties get righties out really well. Most everybody that'll be on their playoff roster, probably with the exception of Littell, gets lefties out. Like, it's just a really good overall club. And I actually think they're built fairly well for October because they will, they will be able to handle matchups at a different level than most other teams can. So it's a really unique team. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I thought, I, I told, I said before the season, I was like, yeah, I can see this team being close to 500. And I think I was the high man in the group. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't expect them setting a franchise record for wins with 107. But it, it's a good team. They play hard, they don't beat themselves very often. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of things that to, when you watch them play, you're just impressed by they always, how they always seem to be, have the right guy up with the right guy on the mound in the right spot.
0: Mike Farron from MLB Network Radio joining us here on the game night. I want to turn our attention over to the American League. The Chicago White Sox, 93-69. and 69, They won their division by 13 games over the Cleveland Indians, soon to be Cleveland Guardians. I was skeptical of the hiring of Tony Larusa. I don't know if that skepticism has fully gone away yet. Is that record and the division win that they had by again as you mentioned earlier just kind of ran away with it and wound up winning by almost 2 weeks worth of baseball how much of that is larussa and how much of it is the team that they put together to give tony larussa the best chance to win
1: yeah i mean i think i think it probably and i think this is the case in most instances right is that you've got to have the talent to be able to win very rarely do you have a manager that made such a huge impact that he's able to pull, you know, a, a second division collection of talent through to a championship. So I think you have to give credit to the talent. I think there are a couple of things where Tony excelled. One, he, he, you know, there were some fits and starts along the way, as we might anticipate with any manager taking over a new group, but he really earned the respect of his players. I mean, it helped the guys like Albert Pujols went out of their way to tell Jose Abreu how much they were going to love playing for Tony and, you know, and I think Abreu really embraced that. I think the other thing is, is that they spent a good chunk of their summer, you know, three-plus months um, without two of their best offensive players and A.O.R. Jimenez and Luis Robert. And so, you know, he, them, whether it be Tony or the front office, you know, trying to turn through guys like Jake Lamb or Brian Goodwin, Um, You know, in an effort to Billy Hamilton even to try and, and, you know, basically piece together an outfield for most of that time, I think that was really, really smart. And I think here are the things where I think Tony makes a difference. The last month of the season, Tony was really proactive at getting like Tim Anderson off his feet, right? Like that was important. Anderson was dinged up. He's such an important catalyst to the White Sox team. Had to get him off his feet, kind of forced him almost onto the injured list. You know, getting extra rest for Lance Lynn, getting extra rest um, for Gio Alito, getting extra rest for, for Carlos Rodon. And we'll see whether or not that ends up having an impact because Rodon you know, is probably going to be available in this series, but it'll be questionable as to whether or not he gets a start, which is crazy based on his first half. But he's battled some injuries. He's done 28 innings since the All Star break. So I think those are things where Tony deserves credit. And then the other one is something that we can't, we'll, we'll see in October is that. Tony LaRusso can forget most of what he knows about baseball and he'd still have the best idea of how to, <laughs> how to run a bullpen in the postseason. And he's got some real weapons, you know, Hendricks, Kimbrell, um, you know, at the end of games, some of the youngsters in Kopech and Crochet and Aaron Bummer, who's their, their lefty, um, is had a really tremendous finish to his year. So there's a lot of weapons that are at Tony's disposal. He knows how to um, you know, not let a pitcher face one too many hitter. He knew that before we really had huge breakdowns on third time through the order penalties. So I think that that's where you're going to see Tony really gain his, um, you know, gain his employ is when it comes to the decision-making uh, in, in the postseason.
0: And in this series, I mean, it, look, I know Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon are both dead, but if you want to have a revival of grumpy old men, you could just have Larusa and Dusty Baker, you know, recreate that entire... That entire film.
1: <laughs> they, um, they have some history.
0: Yes, here. they do have history.
1: I mean, I mean, this is like, so Tony's the first manager to make the, the postseason in five different decades. And Dusty's the first one to lead five different teams to a division title. So, um, and Dusty played for Tony, Dusty and Tony were in the same lineup in like 1971 with the brain. So grief. like, there's like, yeah, there's a lot of fascinating <laughs> stuff right between the two of them. So, um i think it's a really interesting matchup and i think it's an intriguing one too because i think the white Sox are an immensely talented team the astros have made four straight american league championship series i don't think anybody's made five straight lcs's since i maybe it was the yankees teams in the late 90s early 2000s did it and you have to go back to the 80s and the 70s um you know before we had extra rounds of playoffs so you know what the astros are trying to accomplish is pretty important and the one thing that's Missing from Dusty's resume is a World Series championship. So, um, you know, this is I think this is a really fun series. I can't wait for this one to get started tomorrow.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. And then on the other bracket, you've got Tampa Bay against Boston. Uh, Tampa Bay seems like they do everything right. They were in the World Series last year. It wasn't a fluke. They had the best record in the American League this year. So, again, not a fluke. Can they please get some fans to go to their games?
1: I think they'll do all right for the playoff games. I mean, I think that's the, the thing. I mean, you know, it's it's not an easy spot to get to. Um, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of excuses for it. It's also kind of a middle market. So I think there are, are reasons why it doesn't happen. They do robust TV ratings in the region. And you're right. They do do everything really well. I mean, they have – here's what's incredible to me. Is they have no problems starting rookies in games one, two, and three of the division series. hmm Last year, think about it, like it was what Tyler Glass now and Blake Snell and um, who am I missing? They had they had three you know really good veteran, um, smart, talented power arms that they were putting into the rotation. And none of those guys are on the roster even now. So they're going to turn to three rookies. Um, going into a series against uh, Boston. And they're going to have a rookie shortstop who's a sensational player in Wanda Franco. I think they're a way better offensive team than they were a year ago. Um, And they're pitching. They have a lot of – they've got a stable full of guys who throw 98. And they can play matchups. Everybody's fastball plays a little bit differently. They're really an interesting team. Um, And I think they're fun to watch. And these two teams have seen each other 19 times already this year. So there aren't going to be many secrets between the two, although the Red Sox have never seen game two starter Shane Baz, who's made three big league starts. Like this, has a chance to be a really, really fun, fun Tampa Bay club. I think that they have to be the favorite in that series.
0: I would hope so. And also, uh, you mentioned Wander Franco. I think that's got to be every Milwaukee Brewers favorite Tampa Bay Ray, because if it weren't for him. yeah. They wouldn't have Willie Adamas in their lineup. Mike Farron from MLB Radio kind enough to spend a few minutes with us here. It's going to be a fun postseason. Uh, I know it's already started. I know the other wild card game between the Dodgers and the Cardinals is coming up tonight. For us, it starts on Friday afternoon at American Family Field. Mike, we appreciate the time so much, and uh, hopefully, we'll get a chance to uh, catch up in person one of these days.
1: Boy, that'd be real nice. I like the idea of being back in Milwaukee
0: joining us on the program right now. Uh, She was here just a couple of months ago, and she used to actually work in Green Bay at NBC26. You may remember her from her uh, great coverage of the Packers and everything else going on in the Fox River Valley. She's now at Fox 5 in Atlanta. We welcome back to Wisconsin, at least via the airwaves, Kelly Price. Kelly, how are you doing tonight?
2: (laughs) I'm doing good. I'm excited to be back in person in Milwaukee tomorrow as well for this
0: series. No doubt about it, and it just seems like, I don't know if it was a collision course, but there's just so many storylines here if you're of a certain age, and we heard from some of those listening to Drew and KB earlier today, and there are still some old Milwaukee Braves fans that are still chapped that this team left 55-ish years ago, 56 years ago, and uh, now call Atlanta home, so I guess they're kind of entrenched down there in Georgia, but it was the Hawks first, now it's the Braves I don't know it just seems like it's some sort of collision course between these two cities
2: it is kind of crazy when you think about it and actually um the Braves had a practice day today down here at Truist Park in Atlanta and uh Brian Snicker the manager down here was asked about what the late uh, Hank Aaron would have thought of all this all of them you know the two teams playing each other and he said he would have been so excited to see this it is Kind of crazy how these two cities just keep kind of going after each other here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and both teams wearing number forty four patches for the same guy, which uh, is is pretty remarkable. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly Price joining us here. All right, let's talk about the Atlanta Braves of twenty twenty one. It seemed as though this National League East was up for grabs. The Mets led for a while. Then they really faded down the stretch. The Phillies were sniffing around for a while. I've always been a fan. You mentioned Brian Snitker before, former National League Manager of the Year. I I think he should be in the running for it every year, along, of course, with Craig Council, but... Just the way that he kind of steadied the ship. Talk about, if you can, how he was able and has been able to do that. Because when you look at this team, there there are a couple of guys that jump off the page. Uh, Swanson's an outstanding shortstop, as we all know. You got a couple of guys that have knocked in over a hundred runs, but it's just been this steady climb for the Atlanta Braves to get back to the postseason.
2: Yeah, and I mean. crazy when you think the rest of the the previous part of this season I mean the last time these two teams met the Braves um, you know were struggling to stay around 500 they didn't get over 500 until like mid late August I mean there was a very um, you know certain feeling that this team was not going to make the playoffs at at one point very you know recently Um, even Brian Snicker I remember talking to him after they clinched the division a couple days ago and he said you know I had my doubts could we do this again Um, and, you know, things just kind of lined lined up for them. Um, but obviously what they made, the moves they made at the treadline line with Alex Anthopoulos bringing in a lot of guys that just kind of randomly started doing really well here in Atlanta. Jorge Soler, one of those people bringing back Adam Duvall. Um, obviously they lost Ronald Acuna, so they were, you know, filling some holes there. It's crazy that the roster that the Brewers last faced in Atlanta is a totally different roster than kind of what propelled them to where they're at right now. Right. Um, I mean, this team is totally different from August to now. And I think that's why they were able to kind of get to this spot. Um, It's not necessarily something Brian Snicker did or any certain person. It was just a matter of everyone kind of clicking right at that right time.
0: You mentioned Ronald Acuna. How was this team able to overcome his loss and, how did they do it? I mean, this was this is such a, a huge part of the lineup for Atlanta, and then all of a sudden he's gone.
2: Yeah, it's crazy to think about it, um, that they could be going to the postseason and making a run here without the guy who's undoubtedly their, their franchise face, their star. Um, you know, obviously no one wants to see that happen in any one in baseball because he's such a fun player to watch no matter who you root for. Um, but I think again, like I mentioned, the kind of people they brought in to plug those holes in the outfield around the trade deadline have, have indeed plugged those holes in the lineup, um, offensively, defensively. Um, the bullpen started to really hit their swing as well late in the season after some, um, you know, kind of struggles earlier on. I think, like I said, just everyone kind of fire, firing on all cylinders really got this club to where it needed to be at the end of the season. Obviously, they got a little help from, the Mets messing and the <laughs> Phillies maybe not closing it out the way they should have. Um, I mean, the analyst really was kind of out there for the taking right at the time the Braves were getting better and getting in position to do that.
0: Is there a thought among any of the fans in Atlanta that the Braves backed into the playoffs considering, as you mentioned, what happened to the Mets and Phillies?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're excited about it around these parts. I mean, they had 38,000 people here for that. Um, NL clinching, NL East clinching game um, a couple of days ago. My, all my days are running together now. I don't even know what That happens. That's good. Same. But yeah, I mean, the fans here are super excited about it, especially given, you know, a couple months ago, nobody thought they were going to be in this position. Um, I mean, myself included, I'll be totally honest about that. I was kind of writing them off at that time when they couldn't even get a game above 500. Um, And I think the fans have really rallied um, behind them as well. I mean, the players have talked about this is the after winning four NL East titles back to back to back to back. This is the one that's meant the most to them because of all the adversity, injuries, you know, all these issues that they've overcome throughout this season. Um, I think that is how the fans feel as well. They feel like this victory is almost a little bit sweeter than the others.
0: Kelly Price from Fox 5 in Atlanta joining us here on the game night. You mentioned Alex Anthopoulos. One of the things that I I was maybe a little bit struck by is he said that he wasn't even thinking about the Brewers until they had finally (laughs) clinched the East. I'd like to believe him. I'd like to take him at his word because everybody in Milwaukee has been keying up on the Braves for about a month now, just kind of seeing the way that everything was Uh, going to shake out or probably going to shake out. Do you believe him? Was he not thinking about the Brewers at all?
2: Yeah, I think there's a little bit of baseball superstition in there, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I asked him that question that prompted that answer. Um, I asked him, uh, because he was talking about um, the first game of that Phillies series. He was talking about how he couldn't even watch it because he was so nervous. Um, And I was like, well, did you watch today? And he was like, honestly, today's the first day I really felt like the day they clinched. He felt like that was the first day, like, okay, I can finally, like, take a deep breath here. We are probably going to do this. It looks like, you know, it's going to happen. Of course, there's the baseball superstitions in there. But um, I, I do think this this club was really kind of on edge for a minute there. Like, can we do this? But they were they just, like I said, they were firing on so many cylinders that it just seemed inevitable. Um, but, yeah, I mean – the superstition part, I think, is a little part of that. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, Kelly Price <laughs> joining us here. Uh, l- let's talk about Atlanta for a second. It's gotten knocked over the years for being uh, a front-running sports town, and I think that there's a lot of cities that can probably claim that as well. But I remember in the 1990s, they were going to playoff after playoff after playoff, and you'd start to see more and more empty seats than at Turner Field now. Uh, at Truist Park but you mentioned how jazz the, the fans are about this baseball team right now having spent time in Wisconsin you know that it's Packers first and then everything else kind of you know falls behind it on the pecking order yeah. where are the Braves right now on the pecking order in a town that is rabid about college football you've got a great i mean one of the best if you know certainly uh they're one of the contenders for a national championship just down the road uh, at the mm-hmm. University of Georgia. You've got the Atlanta Hawks coming off a fantastic season. Where are the Braves right now in the pecking order? And, oh, yeah, a city that also has an NFL team.
2: Yes. Um, I, it's interesting. And if there's Atlanta people listening, I hope they can agree with this. But this has been my observation. It's a very fair weather fan town as far as whoever's winning. Um, Atlanta United took that spot here for a couple of years. They won an MLS cup here, um, two years in a row when they first started the franchise a couple of years ago, they are wildly popular. They're actually one of the most attended MLS teams in the entire league. Um, they're still really popular they make a playoff push as well. Currently, I would say the Braves are right there up there with them. Um, and again, it's, it's, how can you not be a fan of a team that's won four straight division titles, you know, has been in the playoffs all of those years went to the NLCS and was kind of a game within the world series last season. Um, Their families, I think has certainly been energized in the last three, four years with all that success. Um, I wasn't here before that. So it's hard for me to compare to what it was before, but obviously I think everyone knows uh, what the Falcons have been doing. So (laughs) they're kind of on the bottom of the (laughs) right now, as far as that's concerned, but Georgia, I mean, the fans here are crazy about Georgia as well as they should be. That team is, Scary. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's that's kind of the pecking order. It's it's in Atlanta it's also like whoever is winning is who's gonna lead my sports cast. I mean that's kinda of how I look at it too, because that's how the fans think.
0: Final thing before we let you go is we're joined by Fox 5's uh, Kelly Price joining us from Atlanta. She'll be in Milwaukee, I guess, starting tomorrow night, uh, covering the uh, Brewers and the Braves from American Family Field. Finish this sentence for me. The Braves will win this series against the Brewers if they do what?
2: If they keep on hitting like they've been hitting. Um, I know Corbin Burns has um, had some struggles against the Braves in the past. Um, if the Braves can kind of keep that up and keep up the hot hitting they have had in the last couple games where their starters have played um, I think that that is the key to success for them.
0: Final thing for you, what do you miss about Wisconsin the most?
2: I miss calling it Miller Park apparently it's called American <laughs> family whatever American family like field yes all. yeah I don't. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. I'm probably going to say Miller Park in one of my reports by accident.
0: You probably so. will because there, you, you and you will then once again ingratiate yourselves into the hearts of Wisconsinites everywhere because <laughs> there are still fans that refer to it as Miller Park. There's like a dollar jar at the end of the bar here in the uh, in the studio where you got to drop one in every time you drop a Miller Park reference in there. But yeah, uh, that's-
2: I don't like that at all. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite
0: as easily. Yeah. But uh, we will nevertheless see you at American Family Field starting tomorrow. Kelly Price joining us from Fox 5 in Atlanta. Kelly, it was great catching up with you. I'm uh, happy that I'll be able to see you in a couple of days in person tomorrow, probably at the ballpark as well. Continued success in Atlanta, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again soon when, you know, inevitably a Wisconsin team and an Atlanta team meet in the playoffs.
2: <laughs> Apparently this is a new tradition we're going to start. I love Thanks, it. Doug.
0: Willie was just telling us that he feels physically good going in here. Um, How good is that for you to hear after sort of being as careful as you could with that quad and how important is a player like him to feel, you know, hundred percent given his energy on the field?
3: Yeah. I mean, Willie's, I think he, his last week, he uh, felt great on the field. Um, Another four days um, only helps that. Uh, So it's great. I mean, I think we—he's—he's uh, he's made a huge impact on us. Um, we're all well aware of the energy he's provided. Um, well, well aware of the energy he provided last year to Tampa during the playoffs. So he's—he's he's capable of big things. He's capable of you know being an emotional, an emotional guy that really helps you. Um, and I, I expect we'll get that. Craig, when you guys lost uh DJ to the Reds, and and Chris Hook was named pitching coach, you know he heard a lot of "Oh my goodness, how is he going to replace DJ?" You don't hear that. <laughs> a few years later, we stopped hearing that a long time ago. Well, how how did it go for you, you know, as manager and getting to know Chris Hook and seeing how he helped your staff? Yeah, I mean, I think Chris has become um, a really, really good pitching coach and and one of the top pitching minds in the league right now. Um, he, he's got this, he's got a really unique skill um, of a, of a great ability to understand data, um, understand pitch shapes, understand everything that's kind of being thrown at him and then being able to translate it to pitchers in a way that they really love and really like and really understand how to use it to make them better. Um, and that's, it's, that's a gift. It, it, it's, it's a talent, maybe, is a better way to say it, because it's something that he's worked hard on developing. Um, but he's good at it. And uh, so he, he's, I, I think, really, you know, that, what he's shown you in, in this area has, makes him a great pitching coach. Um, and it makes him the perfect pitching coach for this organization.
0: Craig, in the years you played here, and maybe even your years going back to growing up here, the Brewers tried really hard to churn out great pitching and didn't always do it. Um, without giving away the all the organization's secrets, what do you think the Brewers have done better uh in in terms of getting guys like burns Woodruff Peralta up here
3: yeah first of all it 's not easy i mean i don 't it's not it's not like you know for most- the way pitching works in the big leagues for most teams is that the pitchers go somewhere else and succeed because it takes a while to become a really good starting pitcher it just it doesn't it 's very rare for the young player in the league. So most guys end up with the next organization. It's, and it's, it's common. It's normal almost. Um, you know, we, we've, we, what, what's ha- It's the special group of players that we have more than anything. This is a special group of, of guys. And um, I, I think that's where you start with this is, is their talent. Um, and then I, and then I think, Overall, organizationally, um, we we poured a lot into understanding pitching, trying to develop it, trying to find it in every corner, trying to understand where it comes from. What are the s- signals that make it for in scouting? Um, and it's been exhaustive, and you, you just keep doing that, and it's and it ends up in a process where you, you kind of just stack couple good decisions on top of each other along with some really talented people players um and you end up in a in a spot where you've got some homegrown guys but um the homegrown part of it is we we just this is where this group of guys kind of came in um and we're, we're really fortunate from that perspective there's a little fortune i think in that perspective and kind of how they've all lined up
1: Craig, fourth year in a row as manager for you in the postseason, and you've been in some of the biggest moments as a player that you could be in. What have you learned over the years to kind of the night before you get things started to just check your emotions, set the tone for the team? What, what do you do in the next twelve to twenty-four hours?
3: I think in the next, you know, you enjoy yourself is what happens in the next couple hours on the field. You just enjoy yourself, um, and then it's you're look. We're, we're like everybody else. We're excited. Can't wait to get on the field. Can't wait to get to the park tomorrow. Um, of course, there's some nerves. There's some nervous energy, like everybody else. Um, so I don't. I don't think there's anything special. I do. I'm. Um, I'm gonna go have dinner with my family tonight, uh, which everybody else is gonna do. Um, so we're. We don't have any special programs like that, and um, you know we're looking forward to it's. You know you play all year and you work hard and you. It's for these games. These these are the most fun games for these guys to play in, um, and that's because of what the fans bring to it, and it's the atmosphere around it. Um, they're incredible, incredible atmospheres to play in, and and so that's it's a it's a night of anticipation and a day of anticipation today.
2: Craig, you challenged the starters, you know Corbin and Freddie and Woody specifically to to kind of carry the team, right? That that was their challenge for this year. How proud are you for just the way that they've consistently done that and, and set the tone for the team?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, we look in spring training, we knew we had an elite group. Um, and I think the challenge was uh, for them was, was to do it. Um, we had, and we had a couple guys that were on their heels and, and Adrian and, and Eric to like keep up. Um, and, and that's how we were going to be a really good baseball team. Um, and all five of those guys have absolutely done it. And uh, they, they've kind of led the charge. And, they, and probably as much as anything, they've taken on that responsibility of, I want to be great. Because um, it's, you, you, it's not enough just to say that. You've got to live that. And they have. And that's, that's the most impressive part of it.
0: I was reading in the uh, Players' Tribune Colton Wong's article that he wrote about uh, among other things how well he meshed into the organization and there's other newcomers whether it's uh, Vogelbach or Willie Adamas specifically what has the organization done to make these newcomers feel so welcome here in Milwaukee to the point where they perform like the way that they perform this year?
3: Well the players deserve a lot of credit for that Um, and that's that's just the players welcoming new faces, kind of the, the understanding that there are going to be new faces, that uh, we need new faces to succeed if, if, if the group wants to succeed. And I think that's in us. We, we know that has to happen, whether it be a young player, untested player, player from no, you know, kind of comes out of nowhere, or veteran player. Um, and and, they are, and then it's just we know how that's gonna, it's going to be that way. And so I think that creates an atmosphere that um, I want this guy to succeed. Um, and that's very helpful. Over to the right.
2: Craig, maybe without revealing too much, as you started to dig in a little bit more into this Atlanta team, I know you guys faced them in the end of July and all, but uh, what sticks out to you about partially their reason for success in the second half and rolling into this postseason?
3: Uh, well, they're, they're like, at teams that make the postseason, there's there's not a lot of weaknesses. Um, and I think to get through 162 games, your weaknesses get exposed. So they they don't have a lot of weaknesses. I think you know at one point in the season they 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 were struggling a little bit. Uh, they certainly took off in the second half. Um, their acquisitions at the trade deadline, you know, they basically remade their outfield at the trade deadline. All three of those guys will probably probably be in the lineup tomorrow uh that's that's a big deal when you get you know three regulars in your lineup in late july um you know max Fried has pitched really really well the second half um he, he's been good and their their bullpen you know even when we saw it at different times it, i feel like their bullpen is just solid consistent um versatile um they can throw a lot at you uh, different different types of arms at you, um, and that to me leads to over 162 games. Every bullpen's got its kind of little bit of ups and downs, but it leads to consistency over the long term.
0: Okay. We'll take one more, Craig.
3: Just regarding Colton, you managed against him so many times over the last several years. What's the biggest thing you learned about him as a player this year that maybe you didn't know beforehand? Just having him as a team, has having him as one of your yeah. guys, right? Yeah, it's easy. I, I think. You, you learn to love any great defender, you learn to love watching them play every day. So you, you, play, other, I mean, you play on other teams and you play against great defenders, the, the nature of the game is you don't always get the opportunity to see it. But when you play, when you're with somebody for you know the 110 or 20 games that he's played and playing every day, to see a magical defender play every day and see him do the things that make him great, you know, it's one of the reasons why you love the game. I love the game and playing a position that I played a lot and watching him do it. It, it's gives me chills, honestly. I mean, he's so fun to watch do it. He he does it in such a graceful way and a, and really unique way. Um, it's, it's cool. It's, it's hard to even sometimes it's hard to describe, but you get excited talking
1: about it.
0: That's it for this edition of the Doug Russell podcast. We'll talk to you next time.